0: Again, the URL is unchangedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, all Just a heads up that starting Friday, you'll see an additional episode in this feed every week. Instead of publishing just one in-depth interview about a person, project, or topic once a week on Tuesday, we will also now, on Fridays, release a shorter interview more closely tied to the news, topped off with a recap of all the biggest crypto news stories that week. These episodes have been coming out under the Unconfirmed brand on a separate podcast feed. But seeing as how everything is released in one place on YouTube, it made sense to also consolidate the two shows onto a single feed for podcasts. This Friday's episode is with one of the sharpest, most entertaining figures in crypto, Girl Gone Crypto, whose Crypto Minute videos make the rounds and give us all a laugh every week. Be sure to tune into that. And next Friday and Tuesday, we will be hearing from people both at the forefront of blockchain tech and cryptocurrency in quite different ways. We look forward to being in touch with you every Tuesday and Friday on Unchained. Hi everyone, welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto five years ago and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. Subscribe to Unchained on YouTube, where you can watch the videos of me and my guests. Go to youtube.com slash C slash Unchained podcast and subscribe today. Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn and spend crypto all in one place. Earn up to 8.5% per year on your BTC and more than 20 other coins. Download the Crypto.com app now to find out how much you could be earning. Today's guest is Stani Kulachov, founder and CEO of Ave. Welcome, Stani.
1: Thanks for having me here, Laura. Happy to be here.
0: You have an interesting background that pulls together several strands that touch on different knowledge areas relevant to crypto. Why don't you tell us how you got your start in this space?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, not a usual background in, um, in, 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 in our industry. Well, everyone has quite a unique background here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I started probably four and a half years ago, uh, getting into this space, uh, practically in the product side and 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 building uh, protocols in decentralized in finance. And uh, actually, I, I found Ethereum when I was still studying law. So, so by uh, education, I'm a lawyer. And during my last years of, of my studies, I, I wanted to understand better. Uh, how we could make contracts, like legal agreements, uh, more efficient. And part of my research, I, I studied, I tried to research uh, AI and and a bunch of other automatization. But uh, I stumbled upon Ethereum and smart contracts, and the idea of uh, immutable contracts and code uh, made a lot of sense to me in, in in form of execution. That you don't, you always have legal agreements, kind of like that, uh, execute no matter what. And before that, actually, funny, I I was building uh, before law school uh, financial applications uh, in in fintech, which focuses more on user experience. And somehow uh, there's sort of regulation involved in in fintech, so ended up kind of getting more excited, like uh, understanding more the legal and jurisprudence side. And that's how I (laughs) ended up all the way here.
0: Yeah. And I think it's interesting because when I look at Aave, I feel like I can kind of see that background coming through, you know, Um, especially like right now at this time in crypto, where a lot of um, stuff that needs to be built in crypto actually does uh, look more like fintech because you need to connect this new financial system to the traditional one. Um, but let's also talk about kind of this little interim period where you had started something, a different project called ETHLend. What was that? How did that lead you to Ave? And then I'm very interested to hear you tell the story of how you managed that transition from one project to another.
1: Well, it started mainly uh, when, when I definitely started to practically understand more smart contracts and, and how they work. And uh, because my always... Like, I tried to solve kind of a, a, a idea that how you make legal agreements more efficient, but I quickly realized that actually uh, what smart contract can do, uh, they can actually provide more efficiency into finance. And one of the things I, I tried to kind of like understand, like how we could make a uh, kind of uh, on-chain uh, smart contract where there is a lending transaction, where the actual borrower has an incentive to repay back the loan. And normally it's, it's not so uh, obvious because the Ethereum, how it is, uh, it's practically pseudo anonymous. So addresses do not have any identities. So it's very hard to do any kind of lending uh, or loan transactions. And what we kind of realized is that uh, actually you could use various cryptographic assets as a collateral, uh, post the collateral as a borrower, uh, receive funds from the lender. And then as there's more collateral in the, in the uh, protocol, you're incentivized to repay, to get back your collateral, whatever it is. And back back during that time, uh, there wasn't that many different collaterals, uh, collateral types. Uh, But the idea of work, I mean, the whole uh, DeFi space is more or less about over collateralization and collaterals in in essence. So it was just a small proof of concept that we, we, we developed and evolved into a community and then just evolved into something else. I never wanted to do a startup. Like this, I, I, that was not my plan at all.
0: <laughs> and so how did you decide to, um, transition from Ethland to Ave?
1: It was a difficult decision because, uh, I mean, we, cr- when we created the, the, the Ethlin product, it was very early, it was 2017 and we kept building it, but, you know, we're practically creating a product into a market where. The ecosystem wasn't kind of wide enough. There wasn't many users, and there wasn't even stable coins. So, so people were kind of posting collaterals and, and borrowing ETH uh, or, or, practically, USD pegged ETH, and you know, it was very, very challenging an environment. Plus, the user experience wasn't as good as it is today. If you look at Aave today or Uniswap, we didn't have that kind of things. And and what what we realized during 2018 is that uh, uh, as the ecosystem started to grow, is that you know a, a pooled model makes a lot of sense. And this is what, for example, Uniswap had. And we understood that now that the collaterals that are in in, in uh, on Ethereum are getting more and more market capitalization. And what essence this does is that you could actually pull the liquidity and pull the risks. And at that point, we decided to uh, build Aave and we actually rebranded first because we, Itland in some uh, some way was actually also kind of like a meme. It was just for Ethereum lending. And it was a funny name back then that you could lend out Ethereum and people return it. And it was a bit of a meme. And we just wanted to have some kind of like a branding that it was easy and recognizable. And, you know, maybe at some point even something that is easy also for the mainstream if we are willing to go that far.
0: And so then how did you decide to make the transition to Aave? And how did you even, you know, message that with the community?
1: Well, practically uh, at, at some point we just decided like how, like what, what steps we should do. I mean, we, we started to discuss with the community, like what kind of naming options we could have, like what kind of branding we have, uh, could have. And at that point we were even thinking like, should we hire actually like a uh, branding agency? that could could just make some sort of like a facelift and come up with the branding. And we actually heard a lot of people and, and, and and received offers, but eventually we, we we wanted to do something ourselves. And uh, at some point we just went to the community and said that, Hey, this is what, this is what we have in plan. And this might be very interesting. And people love that because somehow, our community always understood that it's more than just Ethereum lending. And I think it's usually the community that pushes you like further than you want to be, you know, you want to focus quite a lot, but there's so many things happening and your community wants you to like spread in multiple ways and do everything. And, uh, which is kind of like, we're also excited to do a lot of things at the same time, but there's just not enough bandwidth to do things, uh, securely.
0: So, now, Aave is the second largest DeFi protocol after MakerDAO. It has about $5 billion locked in it. And so, actually, I was originally supposed to interview you last summer. And for various reasons, we um, I just like the news changed. And I wanted to to do something that was kind of a little bit more um, uh, just some breaking news at that moment. But I looked back at that original script I had written. And even just you know, last summer, it said, Aave was the fifth largest DeFi protocol and it had $150 million locked in it. So suffice it to say that Aave has seen really fast growth. Um, But I'm just curious, uh, why don't we have you describe, because I tweeted that, you know, I was going to interview you and a number of people said, have him explain Aave the way he would to a five-year-old or someone said to his normie friends. So why don't you take a stab at that? (laughs)
1: Well, I I usually explain very simple that uh, with Aave, you practically see your crypto grow. That that's that's about it. Because what technically what it is, I mean, you practically deposit cryptographic assets and you get yield. But end of the day, the yield is in form of uh, getting more uh, that particular crypto. So if it's ETH, you get more ETH. If it's uh, let's say uh, stable coins, uh, you get more stable coins. So so I just explained that you know it's a way to grow your holdings, you know, not just like in value, but in quantity. And it's that simple, basically. It's, it's just like, of course, there's the lending part. Uh, someone is on the other side consuming, you know, and and those kind of things. But in essence, it's just pretty much depositing funds and getting, getting yield. And you will see your crypto grow. And actually, this happens very uh, directly because uh, the way we designed the protocol is that if you deposit uh, assets, you get uh, A tokens in return. So 100 USDC means that you get 100 A USDC. And we actually developed uh, this algorithmic uh, formula, which means that you will see every second your balance increase wherever you're holding uh, those assets. So it could be on your MetaMask, uh, cold storage. You will always see the balance increase, depending on how how often the your wallet provider is is. Uh, calling the balance of that asset but that's like a very unique way to 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 create assets because normally that happens in banking but uh not so often in in our space
0: and so ave in a way is imitating banking right people deposit and then
1: yeah i would say what we are trying to do is we're trying to not just not imitate but we are trying to kind of like uh uh fix the back end of of finance in, in, in general so let's say uh, when I when I used to work in, in fintech uh, what we were focusing quite more heavily is, is pretty much like the user experience so how how to make the the user experience in, in finance better and this is what neobanks have been doing and all the challenger banks uh, electronic money providers and whatnot and all this fintech is trying to solve like improving the user experience but everything else is held by the financial inf- infrastructure. And that is not moving anywhere. And what Aave is doing and also kind of like others in the DeFi space is actually taking that kind of like a back end of finance and and improving that. So making it, first of all, open, that is accessible to to everyone to participate, to build upon. So you get developers from all parts of the world and have this kind of like transparency. That is like what we are essentially like trying to to solve as as, as Aave and, and DeFi in general.
0: Yeah. And one thing I was looking at is in terms of how quickly Ave has grown, I think something that's interesting and impressive about it is that Ave's closest competitors, Maker and Compound, which at the moment rank first and third in terms of total value locked, both have Silicon Valley backing. Uh, they both have investment from Andreessen Horowitz. And um, well, definitely, obviously, Compound also has uh offered a yield farming scheme and Ave hasn't done that yet. So what do you think accounts for Ave's success?
1: I think there's a lot of factors involved into it. Uh but but I think kind of like we, we definitely created very good technology in 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 one way. But also we were able to attract communities that were underserved. So I, I think that's the key key component. So Back then, I, I think Maker was pretty much focusing on having ETH as a collateral, maybe a couple of other collaterals. Very, very conservative. Even though they they have this kind of like a debt cap, so they can actually list new collaterals, but with limited exposure, which is uh, really good in my opinion. And and then uh, Compound was also pretty conservative. I mean, they in 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 form of um, uh, basically what kind of assets there could be listed. How we came to the market is that we we started to look like different communities and seeing like what are the active communities and and who actually could use our product and and also like are currently underserved so they might have uh, s- some collaterals that th- they could use but they cannot use it anywhere else and the thing is that we we started to actually look at those and, and started to list them as a collateral and one of the interesting part was there is that we adjusted our risk framework in a way that uh, we get less exposure than other protocols that we don't allow, let's say borrowers uh, to get that much out of the collateral, but still they, we're touching upon market that no one else is serving at the moment. And that's, that's how I think was one of the part of uh, success. Of course, there, there's also like a lot of work involved in the technology, the communications branding, and we participated in a lot of hackathons. Like we're, very much developer friendly protocol. So I guess like one time we calculated that like eighty percent of the liquidity just comes from elsewhere than our user interface. So someone builds a uh, product or a protocol and it consumes our deposits. There could be yield aggregator, and I, I think we we try to be very developer friendly at the same time, and and we have touched a lot of communities in in very very good moment. I think those are key things and. Probably other people have more to say because it's always difficult to assess like what's the real, real deal behind of the success.
0: Yeah. um, But it is interesting. I I think what you said about the difference in strategies and kind of accessing maybe more of like a long tail interest um, and, and, you know, uh, just, yeah, finding the communities that are enthusiastic. One other thing was, so you know, earlier I did ask you to describe Ave, but also recently in early December, Ave launched its version two. What are the new features?
1: Yeah, so version two is like by itself the, the 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 protocol. We made a lot of savings in in the gas costs. That's like one of the things. But I think the main things is that actually we make made the the protocol more uh, useful for the users. So when you're depositing into Ave. Uh, you can actually then swap your deposit, let's say, from uh, USDC to DAI if DAI gives you more interest rate without actually withdrawing the deposit and going somewhere else and swapping there and coming back. And then at the same time, you can also swap your collateral. So let's say that you deposited a collateral, let's say Ethereum, you borrowed uh, USDC and and you maybe converted that to uh, USD, then you went to a Tesla store or online just ordered yourself Tesla and bought that. And now kind of like you already spent that, those funds. Uh, then you can still, without returning your loan, uh, you can actually swap that collateral to something else. Let's say you, you have everything in Ethereum, but you want to have that part of your collateral is in some other asset. You could practically do that as well with, with the collateral swap. And also you can repay your loan with the collateral and that practically means that if you have bought a, bought a car and 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 you don't have those funds anymore, you could actually close the loan with the collateral. And that's that's very like very much user uh, centric features, but they're really uh, really really good because it 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 actually kind of like makes the makes the protocol more useful.
0: Yeah. So basically, if I have a certain type of collateral that I've put up and I wanted to keep that collateral cause I want exposure to that price movement, but then there's some other shiny new token that I want yeah. <laughs> <laughs> price exposure to. I can switch it easily without, um, without having to close out my, my position yeah. in Aave. Is that, is that it? Yeah.
1: And I, th- I think like where the cool part comes is that, The way the Ava protocol is designed is that you can create new markets and each market can have different kinds of collateral assets. So in the, in the, some point in the future, when we can tokenize more real world assets and other kinds of assets, and then you can just swap your exposure for, for whatever, whatever that collateral is. And it becomes more interesting. Let's say if you have exposure to real estate in somewhere, some part of the world, and you can swap it, let's say, From Malaysian real estate to South African real estate, if if those will be tokenized, of course, like there's a long process still uh, on on that kind of like frontier. But this just shows like how how exciting it could be at some point. And of course, the fact that you are already able to draw liquidity against those collaterals is 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 fascinating.
0: And um, so, one other thing is with the debt tokens. If I so, if I have these tokens that represent my debt, and then uh, someone. Holds that, but then sells it to someone else, and I default. Then what happens
1: in terms of the debt tokens? So, so, so the A tokens are transferable. So it's it's practically a receipt of of the deposit. So you could uh, sell your A token to someone else, and and let's say you could actually use it as a payment currency. So if you deposit it uh, USDC, you get A USDC, and you, that grows in the balance, and and you use it as a payment whoever you pay it, will it, it will still increase. So that's kind of a very cool payment currency. But the depth tokens itself, so uh, if you take debt, we mint debt tokens. They, they're they not movable at the moment. And oh. pretty much like they could be movable, but we didn't want to make it movable yet because we're still unsure of all of the edge cases and like whether it's a security concern or not. So we we, we decided that we, we mint them. Maybe there's some use case that some developer might find in a hackathon, but we just don't make it movable yet. But we're still researching whether it's possible to to do that and kind of like trying to research like the edge cases and so forth.
0: Yeah. Also, just all the different jurisdictions probably have different, um, you know, rules around what's a security or what isn't. And so that could also make things challenging. Exactly. Um, so speaking of security, but in a different way, I wanted to ask also about the safety module, which is a key feature in um in Ave to keeping the whole system secure. It's basically kind of like a way for people to stake um and, you know, I'm sure people who've been following the DeFi space know that there have been a number of hacks in DeFi. So can you describe how the Ave safety module works, how you designed it to help Aave in the event of an attack like that, and, you know, whether you've had to <laughs> use it in any way?
1: Yeah. So uh, the the safety module is part of the whole kind of like uh, Aaveonomics, so kind of like how how we are letting the community to to govern the protocol and also kind of like uh, carry the risk of, of the protocol. And it took us like roughly six months to to design like perfect Aave Nomics. I mean, we had it's not just the team works. We had a lot of feedbacks and everything, and it was <laughs> a lot of work. But but uh, in, in terms of how it essentially works, is that the the Aave token it's it's a governance token. So the token holders uh, in, in the community they are practically this. Uh, Participating go- governance decisions that are uh, risk-based decisions. So let's say, what kind of asset could be added to other protocol? What kind of uh, risk parameters? For example, how much you can borrow against? What could be the incentive in 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 liquidation to the li- liquidators and so forth? And and because you're kind of adding or uh, taking this this kind of risk, you could transfer the risk to the uh, token holders and the risk transfer is either passive or active. The active one is is where you take the Aave tokens as a community member and and you deposit into the safety module. And that practically means that uh in the safety module you're backstopping the protocol in case of any kind of like a uh, exploit uh could be failed liquidation, something similar that ha- happened with maker in in uh Black Thursday last year when when the uh uh, collaterals went decreased in value substantially and uh pretty much like 30 percent of that uh, stake can be slashed if this kind of like a shortfall event happens now currently the safety module is roughly i haven't looked on a daily basis but last time when i looked i think it was uh last week there was one point i think five billion worth of value there in in total uh, and that is practically 30% of that is backstopping, uh, the, the, the protocol. And of course, if that, that doesn't cover, there is this kind of like a passive, uh, way of covering deficit, protocol deficit, which is the recovery issuance and, and where new Aave is minted. And this is something similar that Maker, for example, has. So we try to kind of like pick whatever we saw during, uh, in, in DeFi, this different kind of backstop modules, uh, and, and implement something that uh, is, is, Quite quite innovative, backstopping with with uh, governance and community members and, and let's say tokens is a very bespoke model. You rarely see something similar in in traditional finance, but I guess I guess somehow it it, it makes sense. It's not like full hedging. So so I would say like if someone needs additional like uh, let's say uh, risk hedging. They should go for insurance, but the, the idea of the backstop is that it takes care of the protocol. Uh we haven't used it uh yet, but it's it's something uh I mean something that it was designed to be used if something happens. So it's it's practically ready there at any given moment to be uh used. And that's how that the, the reason we actually wanted to build the Avenomics this way is that we understood that the most important thing for DeFi and, and especially to other protocol is that we have a healthy protocol and and that doesn't it's not in deficit and that that way we get more deposits and and adoption.
0: Yeah. So speaking of your plans to decentralize governance, that is one of the trickiest processes that any team can undergo. And there's a lot of discussions about how to do it and what really constitutes decentralized. So how did Ave decide to do it and how do you feel that that process has gone?
1: Ave kind of had this progressive decentralization so when we launched a product we we basically uh we had keys to the product and and what happened is that uh there's two reasons why you usually keep us a as a d5 uh, protocol uh, founding team the the uh the admin keys and and one of the things is that uh, if something is found, you need to fix it, fix it uh, quickly, and, and that's, that's the kind of like the main thing. And, and, and second thing is that you also need to do it very, very quickly. So if, if you are able to fix a some sort of an issue within ten minutes or or one hour, that's like a that that, that is very important thing compared to let's say if you have a governance process like full fledged governance, you have to wait two uh, there's two days voting period one one day of kind of like a cooldown delay and then you have the uh, kind of like a fix, then it's, 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 uh, it might be problematic of of securing the protocol. And in our case, like we, uh, we were definitely like confident on our work and usually like things are found very early when you launch a protocol, maybe even like, even after audits, there might be something that might be found in the first weeks or maybe a couple of first months, uh, maybe in three, but then, then it's already kind of like, You start to kind of like get this uh, general consensus that pretty much the protocol is safe because there is so many a pairs that has been looking at it at the code, and for us, uh, for us, like we had to accelerate the governance mainly because the uh, amount at uh, in the protocol started to be substantially high, and we never ever expected it to be this high. So like we were joking like when we launched arva that if, if this thing goes ever like we will have like 30 million in the protocol it's it will be huge like it will be so so cool and you know and <laughs> when we just saw it grow and grow we were like at the same time kind of like uh i would say like nervous that this is like taking off and like at the same time it's it's good but at the same time you, you we started to actually think now we have to actually Give, give the power to the, the governance and do it as as soon as possible, and and then we practically gave the keys. And uh, I, I mean, since then it's it's been uh, governance was very new to me in the sense that you know it, usually internally you can brainstorm things and maybe ask from the community, but now you have this procedures. You know, it, it feels like very procedural. You know, and and getting things you you have to actually campaign and. Nothing is is like even if you have a good idea, it might not get executed if people are not active enough to vote, or you know maybe some of the parameters aren't like what people like. And this is like super new to me. Like it's actually you need to work a lot to campaign, and it's kind of like uh, it, it's I, I love governance, but it's just like it, it's one another kind of like building block in in our workload at the same time. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I can only imagine going from being, you know, not this extreme, but almost like like a dictator of your own little world to suddenly just being one of the players. Although, you know, obviously, I'm sure as the founder and still as the CEO of of Avi the company, you have a lot more sway than the average person. Um, So what is your vision of a fully decentralized Aave and how far is Aave from that now? Like, what else do you feel you need to do to achieve that?
1: I I think uh, basically we have quite wide distribution in the sense that uh, like there's sort of token holders, but the the problem, I I see two problems. One problem is that even though we have wide base of, of holders, our governance is too much relying upon the team and kind of like, not just the team doing the work, but also kind of that the team makes the right things. And and it's kind of like it's it's a very heavy heavy load on us at, at the same time, but also kind of like it it it's it's not very contributing to the the actual governance. And we're trying to figure out like how we can get a wider base uh, to participate because, but there is participants, but the problem is that they're active when when it's like very big topic to vote and and then or it's something that really concerns them a lot but like how we could make everyone to participate not everyone but good amount of uh, activity on let's say even smaller votes that make sense and one of the things which is very problematic is the gas that people just pay gas to govern and that's that's a problem I mean if you have to pay to vote you know transaction fees it's it's not that uh, incentivizing and and, and that's one of the things why, what 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 is kind of like a bottleneck there. So we, we, we kind of like from the voting perspective, we want to have more addresses voting. And of course, we want to have more addresses delegating to other addresses and having uh, this kind of like a protocol politician. So so this is the one thing. And this problem is a bit common widespread in, in DeFi. Another problem Aave has in, in governance is that our governance is a bit different than because in, in other governance, you can actually delegate voting power just to kind of protocol politicians and also separately uh, the governance power, to, uh, sorry, the, the proposition power to someone to put a proposal on chain so that if, if it gets voted in, it will automatically execute. And you can delegate that power to put proposals on chain to uh, s- someone more technical, kind of like a lawmaker, code makers. And what we are trying to now to do is that there would be others that are creating proposals to improve the protocol and and this is something uh we we started to work upon recently i mean the version two that al- governance that allows to actually delegate proposition power uh went live on on um december so it's it's fairly new but we're trying to achieve a kind of like a uh, state where you know there is other themes asking grants from the from the Aave DAo and also building the protocol so that the Aave theme actually competes with others as well in, in 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 form of building the protocol and that's that's something we want to achieve and it takes uh quite a lot of time but it's it's kind of like an issue at the moment in in my opinion.
0: Yeah, this is this is a really, really interesting part of the discussion. So in a moment, we're going to discuss a little bit more about this concept of protocol politicians. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn and spend crypto all in one place. Earn up to 8.5 percent per year on your BTC. Download the Crypto.com app now to see the interest rates you could be earning on BTC and more than 20 other coins. Once in the app, you can apply for the Crypto.com metal card, which pays you up to 8% cash back instantly. Reserve yours now in the Crypto.com app. Back to my conversation with Stani Kulachev. So you were just talking about what you were calling protocol politicians. How do you define that? And do you see protocol politicians as being a good or bad thing for DeFi and or decentralized projects in general?
1: I see it kind of being good and bad. But mainly good because it's very difficult to do bad things in in in, in DeFi. Um, because kind of like if something is really bad, you know, the good people can always fork, create a new community. And it's just there is no modes here. And this is something that like once once you see it happen, you know, it's it actually activates the the, the, the forked uh, kind of like a, a protocol. And and you know they it has to like kind of like respond to that and you know, you know, with the narrative and everything. But I but I think like with the protocol politicians, uh I, I think it's good because you know you kind of delegate your 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 voting power to someone that has similar values as you have and more time to actually go through the proposals uh very uh deeply. And maybe they it might be a team actually and they might have technical people that could actually review the code and, and what, what, what it actually has, um, there. And I, I think that the, the problem of course is that, you know, after, after like, if, if you have big holders and, and they are getting like in, into coalitions, that that's, that's a problematic thing. But I think forking is, is the, the solution, uh, in every single <laughs> problem. I mean, we, we see like, we can look back into Linux and see how, how, how things uh, work, but in that sense, but, uh, they also like one of the issues of the protocol politicians is that it, there is no incentives at the moment so i was actually talking uh in clubhouse uh with with rick burden uh who's been in defi space so, for a few years now and in practically he he was trying uh trying kind of like to to participate in in gov- defi governance as a protocol politician uh style and it's just like the the incentives aren't like there because like there's if you want to do like, very well, being a politician. It's, it's like, it's a full-time job. And just doing, being a protocol politician just for the sake of decentralization uh, might not be sufficient, especially when DeFi and, like, cryptocurrencies is all about incentives. And uh, this is, like, the missing parts. And I think uh, to solve this thing, I think DAOs need to step up and, and start to kind of, like, somehow distribute actively grants and not just grants, but, you know, uh, stream funds into, let's say, protocol politicians that get enough support. And then you have the system that they don't need to worry about like who who pays what and actually the DAOs will pay and they just can focus on campaigning what's important for their agenda and, and whether they get mandate.
0: And so, but you were saying some of the protocol politicians might be technical but then there might be others that aren't they're just advocating for certain changes they want to the protocol is that how do you envision what a protocol politician is
1: yeah and the thing is like in, in politics as well we have people who might be also kind of with, with a legal background and some that are not and and the thing with uh thing with proposals that are in defi is that the the proposals are technical so you can write a nice description of what the proposal is there's some Discussion, but the law is actually the code. So when that goes to the on-chain voting, and it's important to understand like what's what the code in uh, actually has in 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 terms of like the payload. And it's uh, it's it, it, it's good if you understand because if there's something that actually isn't correct, then you know you can actually say that okay, this is a problem in this protocol. But uh, it's real it's a real occasion that you put something on chain that is uh, highly different what you kind of like described in terms of like, it's, it's very, would say like a rare case. And and th- that is why you don't need to be technical person. And I, I think you shouldn't be a technical person because this is the part where non-technical people can contribute and participate. So I, I think that's the, the, the power of, of being a protocol politician, that you don't need to be necessarily technical, but it might help. In in some cases,
0: yeah, it would probably help in terms of whether or not you actually do the coding. At least understanding what's possible and kind of yeah, just how different different technical considerations might affect decisions that you would want to make. So this is sort of related, um, you know, just in terms of the fact that this also uh, kind of bleeds into that legal area. But one thing is, you launch that. Credit delegation product last summer, and it's interesting because that was what people were were calling unsecured loans, where they were essentially based on legal agreements. And I was wondering, you know, in the time that you had that, so there there was the first version of it, and now with V two of Ave, you have a, a a different version of it. But I wondered, even in in V one, how did people tend to use it? Like who were the lenders and borrowers, and then you know if they were in different jurisdictions, how did they decide which jurisdiction they would handle any disputes under, and stuff like that.
1: That's an interesting question because, like, uh, how we did the credit delegation version one, we practically uh, developed a a kind of like a vault where where you could just put a tokens there as a as a an depositor, and and because the a tokens are there as a uh, kind of like a collateral, so whoever you allow to to access that vault, uh, they can draw practically to that vault and then to themselves uh, credit from, from our protocol against someone else's A-token, A-tokens. What it actually allowed it allowed uh, the dele- delegators to do, or the depositors actually, is, is that they, they have now technical capability just to lend out to someone with their... Kind of like against their collateral, which is deposited there. So, so the cool part here is that you deposit into Aave, you earn in interest. You delegate, you earn a bit more interest. But the thing is that uh, how this different than you will do normally is that you you would actually just uh, borrow yourself from Aave against your collateral, some some other asset, and send it to someone else. And this is kind of like less of a good user experience. But in this Relationship. What we did actually is that uh, there was one borrower, for example, diversify, and and they they borrowed. What happened in this relationship? They they made an agreement through Open Law, and Open Law is, is just a kind of like a docu sign type of a a uh, application, uh, which with additional twist. And the twist is that you can actually put into the document executions as well. Let's say a point. Uh, certain conditions to uh, certain addresses. And then when the contract is signed, whoever signs the last as the last one uh, can deploy a, a contract. So in this open law template, uh, which which is pretty cool, you could actually, the, uh, the, the last person who signs it deploys the vault. And once it's deployed, then the delegator just funds the vault and then another person draws the credit. And this open law template, you could just choose like different jurisdiction, England, uh, dispute res- resolution clause, uh, arbitration, how many ar- arbitrators. Uh, you could choose choice of law, let's say um, uh, English law. And then you could, cho- you, of course, the parties put their names and everything, pretty much like the same way as DocuSign uh, works. And then, of course, the addresses, who is who, and so forth. And and that that's was, the, was the case. So we created a legal wrapper. But also, at the same time, we had another kind of interesting credit delegation type, is that where uh, depositors uh, were delegating into a smart contract vault that uh, did something in DeFi and could only do one particular function. And and that contract didn't allow the, the funds to be used to anything else. So there was a uh, wire vault uh, called YA Link, which borrowed uh, two credit delegation and borrowed la- roughly 15 million worth of USDC from, from Aave. Via credit delegation and there is there wasn't any legal wrapper here because everything is on sc- contracts and obviously as as the, the 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 this world could only practically deposit into a i think they were like a farming something and then then kind of like all the t- revenue they were paying back to the delegators and and because this is like a closed loop relationship between smart contracts and there's no like a additional like a credit risk because it's in the system, that was the second type kind of like. Uh, so there was this uh, one type where you just borrow and handle yourself the legal wrapper or just trust someone else, or you do the smart contract uh, closed-loop system. Those were the two type of uh, uh, credit delegations.
0: Oh, That's really interesting. Yeah, the what you described with the open law thing is almost like, it's like some kind of, it's almost like legal Zoom, but specifically for these blockchain contracts. Um, That, yeah, it just sounds really interesting. I also then wanted to ask, so in version two, so in version one, especially if you were dealing with a specific counterparty rather than uh, doing the smart contract version of using this, of these um, credit delegation products, that was kind of more of a workaround. But in V2, you've made it more native to the protocol. So how does that work?
1: Yeah, so... Now it's super easy. So basically, as a depositor, uh, you deposit uh, assets into the version two, and then you just grant a credit line to to another address, and that another address just can come come and borrow. And this is pretty pretty interesting because uh, it's it, it's way easier, and and this is something that we're now we don't have a user interface for this yet, but this is something we're uh, launching in let's say a couple of weeks, and the idea is that practically you can you can delegate. Uh, through the user interface to someone else, uh, and also whoever gets the credit line can also manage manage and repay the credit line through the uh, user interface. Of course, we don't have the um, kind of like um, it's a more of a trust based relationship, so you will not pretty much delegate that way to 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 someone that you uh, you just don't know. You know, it will be like sending it's funds Spotify. to zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but, but what's cool about this is that. Uh, then the other governance they could actually decide uh hey what what if we what if we allow uh let's say third parties uh, they could be projects that are working on other collateralist loans or they might be cfi lending desks or traditional institutions what if they can create walls where they can ask credit delegations and that will be in the user interface so so practically uh there might be a a Vault where uh, that can accept credit delegations and depositors could add there. It it gives certain kind of a premium, and that vault then borrows under collateralized, but does some sort of uh, functionality. It could just borrow to lend out in centralized uh, markets, or it could it could be another protocol that is borrowing in the closed loop system, or it could be just some uh, fintech startup that that is having some sort of lending activity and they source the liquidity. Uh, this way to the traditional finance and lend lend it out further. So practically what it allows actually to do is that today we, we think about DeFi in a way that it actually vacuums liquidity. So, right. So, so we're trying to kind of like get more deposits into the space, more people using DeFi that way. But w- w- one of the things that we're not working that much is actually how we get the liquidity out of DeFi into traditional finance with the trust networks and, and different kinds of, uh, Ways And credit delegation is just pretty much that. So I, I could imagine some beautiful day very soon, all the governors could vote that this particular world, uh could accept credit delegations in a user interface, and it could be a some sort of financial institution or a lending service provider.
0: And then each one maybe would have its own parameters for the type of borrowers that they would allow or something like that, right? Like they might have their own way of, of scoring people's risk or, or something. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So one, one interesting, like uh, there could be just like a project that m- manages, let's say, credit risking and, and, and maybe lending activity. And they just take the cre- source, the uh, source, the liquidity with the credit delegations. And then they s- decide, okay, uh, we're going to give credit, uh, based on this and this and this, uh, particular parameters. And, it could happen in traditional finance. So practically, they would could do even credit checks. They could do even the normal stuff that is happening. But uh, what's interesting here is that the person that is getting the credit, whether it's consumer credit or, let's say, B2B credit, let's say consumer credit, and, and, and buys a car, and, and part of that liquidity or fully could be sourced from uh, Aave and, and DeFi this way. So so there is like a uh, trust relationship between this financial institution and the of the governance and and the that way there's like you need to trust trust it but, but because they are doing like let's say lending activity you kind of expect that they they do things right if it's only based on let's say this kind of a like reputation and and then uh, pretty much the lending institution that is lending out to their consumers they do the credit checks and they have recourse and so forth
0: And then could borrowers kind of build credit by showing their behavior on, you know, like, this is my main wallet that I use to interact with Aave and hear all the debts I've taken out and paid back or anything like that? Like, could that also be built on that?
1: I think so. I think so. We've been talking with uh, DeFi Dad practically because... uh,
0: Travis Blaine, uh, for people who don't know him. (laughs) He works at Zapper. (laughs)
1: And he's a super cool guy. And, uh, yes. Just,
0: and by the way, he wanted, he wanted me to ask you who's your favorite dad in DeFi. Well,
1: that's of course DeFi dad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm glad we got to ask that. I wasn't planning to, but since it came up anyway, <laughs> go ahead.
1: Yeah. And I, I think like what's interesting in DeFi that besides that he's like bringing like DeFi to wider adoption and making actually explaining it like, to five year olds, and I, I guess he's doing it on a daily basis. But is is that you know, if if you could actually have this some sort of uh, you get credit delegations, you repay loans, and 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 end of the day, maybe you hold in your wallet other things, NFTs, and so forth. Maybe you actually form this this on chain identity that is so valuable for you, and it has provenance, in you know, and maybe that becomes a, a credit facility. So it becomes this kind of a new reputation. Like I, I think our problem usually is with with uh, undercollarious loans is that we always think that we need to always think how we chase the person all the way to the end that they repay all the debts. But actually, the traditional uh, lending doesn't work completely like that because, for example, in B2B lending, companies go bankrupt, and you might not see most of the funds that that you have lent out uh, to to a to a business or to a startup. Many startups fail, so in, in terms of like uh, like private equity, that happens uh, quite a lot. Venture capital, and also in in, um, in many European countries and in the US, you have this this kind of like uh, uh, possibility to I don't know, kind of file for bankruptcy as as a person as well, or have this kind of like uh, arrangement that you repay part of your debt. So we should never kind of like think that. The recourse has to be like that—you have to chase someone. And actually, uh, I started insolvency law. I mean, like bankruptcy law. Uh, and one of the interesting thing is that our economy is more based on this kind of like remorse. So if someone fails, you, you kind of like uh, try to settle as much as you can. But then that the person gets back into the economy and could be like productive and you know healthier compared to the old kind of thinking that where debtors should get everything that they they invested into. And I think if we get this kind of thinking uh into the on-chain like identity and and under collateral loans, then, then we will start to see more like interesting interesting uh under collateral loans, not the kind of like ways where we go all the way back to traditional finance and try to figure out how we get part of the payment back. But actually like you have so called address-based reputation with everything that you have achieved that you don't want to Lose it, but if you lose it once, it's totally fine. If later you, you 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 make something good,
0: yeah, it definitely would depend on a really good identity system, though, because otherwise, although I know. Hmm. Okay. I was just going to say that somebody with bad credit could just keep opening up new addresses, but then they would still have to build the good credit and the good behavior with each one. So anyway, all right. So let's switch gears (laughs) for a second to talk about the e-money license that you got in the UK, which was granted to... The UK business entity that Ave has, and I checked out the website. It says that that is still being built. So, what are you building there, and what do you plan to do with that license?
1: Yeah, so so one of the things we our goal was to kind of like get get more adoption, mainstream, and like it's it, it just so hard to 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 get people direct people to let's say to an exchange and say that go go there, buy some ETH, and go to another exchange, buy some stable coins. Now it's a bit easier. You could just say that go to go to this exchange, uh get some stable coins, get some ETH, and and then uh, create a MetaMask and 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 do this and that, and then you can deposit. And so so there's like there's less steps now, but still too many steps to actually like someone to, to get like uh, exposure into DeFi. And what we want to do is is kind of like uh narrow that gap uh, quite a lot. So so practically. Uh, that you're able with your traditional currencies, so let's say pounds, dollars, euros, you could convert them into stable coins and, and later deposit into DeFi as well. So kind of like having this some some sort of like an end-to-end relationship with the users in the in the sense that you know you have the DeFi back end, but then you have the actual back front end where you're reaching out the normies, the mainstream. That is what we are trying to achieve. And we're we're building it like it's more of a, like a side thing that we're trying to build and it it goes quite slowly. But I think we're going to launch something quite soon, maybe in q three, I think, will be the most uh kind of like optimistic <laughs> optimistic plan.
0: Yeah, this is probably the part of your work, uh, like I was saying earlier, that touches more on fintech and is more connected to the traditional banking system. And so it will definitely probably work a bit slower. And there's probably a lot more compliance that uh, you'll have to deal with. Well, one other thing that I wanted to ask about was Ave had pioneered fa- flash loans. And I wondered how you feel about the fact that 10 of the 16 most prominent attacks in DeFi in the past year have involved flash loans. Is there anything you would do differently about that?
1: Yeah, so yeah, this, this is an interesting thing. I actually, um, I, I've been thinking that quite a lot. And uh, well, one of the things is that most of the flash loans are used for for actually like good purpose and not just arbitrage, but actually refinancing debt, uh, closing loan positions, uh, let's say uh, before liquidators can get in and, and, and take the uh, borrowers uh, kind of like part of their collateral so they can kind of pre-liquidate themselves. And there is flash loans used. So flash loans are actually used quite heavily in, in many things. Last year I think there was uh two billion worth of flash loans in, in, in from, from Aave. So that's like a substantial amount compared to uh, the hacks. What the hacks kind of like do, like I mean those hacks are possible to do without flash loans just having the preempt capital. Of course, like if you're a, a sixteen year old kid or like something like that and you know you Figure out flash loans, and, and and that's the kind of a way you you can you know make this uh, kind of like uh, exploit. Then of course, like it it, it does help in se- certain extent. But what flash loan actually does more for this kind of like security is that it actually bulletproofs the protocols because you can't deploy anything out there that can't withstand that kind of an attack. Because if you can uh, if you can uh, defend a flash loan attack. It means also you could uh, defend a whale that will do similar kind of an attack. So that is my kind of like a key component in 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 terms of like uh, flash loans and 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 whether kind of like they're good or bad because there's they're actually innovation. They bring something new and they empower developers and they empower users and and also at the same time they they ensure that developers are building good protocols that they are not getting. Exploited. So, so kind of like every flash loan exploit means that the development team just didn't find something or uh, they cut corners somewhere. That is like that's the problem in DeFi general because you know DeFi is not equal. You know there are projects that are putting a lot of effort in security. There are projects that aren't putting effort in security. And this is a this is kind of like a problem for the space.
0: Yeah, so with V2, you did introduce flash loans to Aave itself, and I wondered what did Aave do to try to protect itself from potential attacks.
1: That's a good question. That's a good question because I, I think I, don't, I think like pretty much how security is handled is is it, it's really about reviewing code, thinking in different kinds of scenarios, understanding uh, potential attacks, re-entran- reentrancy. Uh, any kind of like attack that related to flash loans, understanding each and every attack, like what happened, why and, and other potential scenarios. So those are one things. And whenever you introduce new code, you need to think about what are the, the cases that that this particular code could lead to. So, so, and then you have a rotation system in, in your team that like each, every kind of developer tries to review the, the other developers code. And there is, there's, good procedures on that. So that's that's one thing. And then the second important thing is to have test cases, enough test cases for various different type of uh, uh, behavior. So, so you should be testing more than you are developing. And that applies more into smart contract based development. And then, of course, once everything is ready and you're confident with your code, then you can actually go to auditors and say, hey, uh, we heard that you are doing very good work. I read your, your previous work and, and we're very confident that this is something that fits your, your uh, expertise and then you take those third-party audits and uh, the version 2, for example, we have five audits, our fifth audit came uh, recently and we had formal verification, which is the like mathematical proof of how the protocol works and behaves and that's also not, not, none of these are guarantees, it's just like how much you put effort on security and the more you put, the better like there isn't limitation like how much you should or should not put like you should just put everything everything because the stakes are high the example where we thought that there was 30 million will be in other protocol and then there's billions it just shows like <laughs> shows how high the stakes are
0: yeah i did an episode with taylor Monahan and dan guido about this and taylor was just like people don't think that just because there's an audit that everything's safe, you know? She was just like, this is not any kind of seal of approval. Um, And yeah, she agreed with you that, you know, it's just kind of a continual thing. And I think, I can't remember if we discussed it in that episode, but, you know, obviously where you have things like new token standards coming out, like, what was that uh, hack? Um, Was it the IMBTC one where um, the new ER... Seven 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 standard, I think, caused a bug, um, but they th- like that was a known thing. They just didn't do anything about it. So, yeah, it's like yeah. you have to constantly keep up on developments and and yeah. watch them for how they'll affect your protocol.
1: Yeah, and that's a commerce security thing. I mean, if if, if, if there is a uh, improvement, you need to up, up update your your uh, software.
0: So let's also now talk about Ave's partnership with Realty, which is a project that tokenizes real estate on Ethereum by creating LLCs for properties and then sending a, a share of the revenue for each to each uh, that each token holder holds um, to their own Ethereum wallet in stable coins, which is I think super interesting. Um, and in Ave Realty tokens can be used as collateral for people to borrow. Um, and so, since real, at least in the US, realty tokens are securities. I was wondering how uh, you know Ave, uh, like what changes you needed to make to accommodate that in a decentralized protocol. It's a
1: good question because it's kind of like a it's a completely different pool. It's it's so called like private market with permissions, uh, permissioned access. So so practically, in in this case, the realty they're using uh, the the Ave kind of like as technology, the, the smart contracts, but the market is completely private. So so everyone who participates that market has to go to their own process of KYC and, and so forth. And this is kind of like interesting because you know we we recently created the feature of, of uh practically whitelisting and blacklisting addresses. So practically now anyone that has an interesting project in mind, they can just take the other code and, and deploy a uh, market for their own purpose. It's it's the same as Someone will use uh, MySQL database, but instead of like using like a common MySQL database, they just use for themselves for for settlements and, and so forth for the settlements' sake of transparency and liquidity. Like, the... Yeah, so it, it's it's practically that's the only way, in my opinion, to to approach the, the kind of like a security aspect and and also kind of like those assets that are not like uh, purely cryptographic. Uh, assets, and I, I think we'll see a couple of other ones coming uh, during this year. Uh, and it, it's interesting to see like whether they catch and what kind of attention it catches, because you kind of lose the permissionless factor where you have this interoperability, compatibility, and then you're kind of left with the you know security of Ethereum and the transparency that the, the public Ethereum uh, provides, and maybe like fixed settlement systems. So you the the participants that are Going to the uh, compliance and participating in that market, uh, they they don't need to rely on written agreements; they rely on smart contract execution. So there are there are still quite a lot of benefits on that, and I'm interesting like will those benefits by themselves be enough for this kind of projects to uh, take the t- take this market further? And uh, I don't know.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I have to say something that interested me about this project, and in general, just listening to some of the other interviews you've done, it seems that you and Ave are pretty eager to integrate real world assets. And frankly, I feel like most crypto and DeFi people view that as kind of a headache to interact with off-chain assets, because I feel like it just introduces a whole host of other problems. So why why is that something that's interesting to you?
1: Yeah, it is a headache. and. <laughs> The, the, good, the good thing about it, many of the things that we are kind of like partnering and, and talking about, we're, uh, especially like real world assets, we're pretty much like technology providers. So we just give the infrastructure and, and rest is on the, the kind of tokenize whoever is tokenizing those, those assets and, and managing. So practically we, we, we have a <clears throat> smaller headache in, in one sense, but of course, like if they, their project succeeds, that's that's amazing. But also, we, we tend to forget that uh, most popular assets on Ethereum are real-world assets, which is practically tokenized dollars, which is an interesting part because, you know, usually when we think about real-world assets or tokenizing real-world anything, we t- t- think it quite widely. So, so like, how to do it globally. But if you look at, like, the biggest tokenizations, they're just one jurisdiction. It's pra- practically, let's say, dollars, what, what USDC is doing. And, and they they are ju- had just one jurisdiction, which is US US dollars in, in that sense. That's what they do. And I, I think we'll see more of like projects doing it more locally. So they try to actually solve locally the tokenization. And then if it works, scaling a bit uh, further. But also it's kind of like a hope, at least personally, that we will see more value in uh, and, and transfer more value from real world to the cryptographic ecosystem. Because in the cryptographic ecosystem, Decentralized finance value could move very quickly. Uh, developers could build very interesting concept products and 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 efficiencies, and it just the transparency itself is is very fascinating. And of course, if you solve the transparency in the off chain as well, the custodians and so forth, and the the stuff related, that that's 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 fantastic. But I, I just think like having this value network is there's sort of potential, and we we just are scratching the surface.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it will be interesting to see where it goes and how it can affect real-world assets when you bring those features. Um and so obviously right now <laughs> Ethereum has been experiencing a, a you know a state of high fees for loads of different types of transactions for a while. How has Ave been thinking about scaling? Are you looking at layer 2 solutions? Are you looking at other blockchains?
1: We are we are quite a lot like but we but we are also like we do used to have a strategy, but we are trying to a bit of not to share too much because at the same time, the layer two is not super important for us. It's more important for trading facilities, order books, something that has a lot of transactions in that sense. And Aave, Aave is kind of like a follower in the sense that, you know, where there's transactions, there's liquidity uh, issuance, uh, then there's a need for secondary, you know, liquidity lending borrowing markets. But we are talking to every places, and there was already like a ecosystem project called Avagachi, and they ported the Ovid tokens into the uh, tokens into the um, Matic. Yeah, and that was just one example, and there's other kind of like folks in the community that just want to port them, and it's already like a good start, so that we see that it's more of a community in, 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 initiative to get like layer two uh, experimentations. But we're still kind of like looking at it, but we definitely have a interesting uh solution at some point when we are uh ready and that that might come quite soon even i mean it's uh, it really depends on how how serious the lts will become
0: huh. and so also, would you consider leaving ethereum or or trying a different blockchain?
1: Well, kind of I was born and raised in ethereum and i and in terms of like we've been always building here. But uh at the same I also would say that like that's our like on-chain headquarters. So uh, like in that sense like it's very difficult to live because the culture is here, the ecosystem is here, the compatibility is here. But there's some cool things happening in our places. Uh I've been following what's happening in Polkadot. I've been following also like layer twos and and just keeping like uh keeping like curiosity always. And I don't think people will copy what Ethereum has. But what I'm interested to see like these new cultures evolve in like you know, other blockchains and, and seeing like what which direction it takes and and, and maybe if if Ave has place there. Because Aave is more about not even about DeFi but like building culture and, and being part of everything that that is is in the on-chain. Like we want to empower like finance is, is is big space, but it's just a space that empowers other economies and, and cultures. So we We want to empower what's happening in the creator community the e commerce community on chain and 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 be involved in various parts and that's why we we focus more on culture and with the branding and everything uh and that's why I'm following like what's happening in other blockchains as well but I will not say we will ever leave ethereum i hope not i mean this is like super cool to be here with so many uh i mean the the community is very healthy so yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I asked this question of a lot of people and I get a, a kind of similar answer. I think, you know, they're kind of seeing where things go. But people do, I think, seem to have some kind of uh, loyalty to Ethereum and, and recognize that that's where a lot of the activity is. Yeah. Um, and, and where you can get network effects. Um, So earlier we did talk about kind of the difference between Ave, which, you know, doesn't have kind of the traditional Silicon Valley venture capital backing, I mean, you do have some investment, but, um, you know, that it's just a little bit of a different uh, beginning that you've had. And if we even just look in general, you know, obviously, DeFi and decentralized projects in general are really different from traditional startups. So um, in this open source world, you know, which is quite different from uh, you know what it would be like building a traditional startup what can a defi project do to build a moat
1: i think nothing because it's impossible to build a moat i <laughs> we tried because i think what's interesting in defi is that especially compared to traditional finance and other businesses is that there's nothing that actually pr- protects anything because you know it, the code base is open source and the idea is that anyone can contribute anyone can just take that code and improve it and, and create something else, and then you can look at that and create something more better. And the liquidity also works the same way. If someone creates a better algorithm, the liquidity just moves there, and and also better user experience. So there isn't that much of a thing that is protecting. But what's cool about it is that the innovation, speed of innovation, is is very very quick, which makes the space very attractive and and very promising at the same time. So I, I think like as a uh, DeFi project or or a newcomers, I think what's important is actually like how much you can keep up with the rate of innovation. So it actually doesn't matter like what's the product currently you're working upon, but uh, how you vision to improve it and uh, what you might be doing after that product and what are the next kind of things. And it always kind of like to some extent in my thinking, it always boils down to the theme, like how open environment they have to be creative so if, if the team the 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 founders and if they can be uh, openly brainstorm and, and kind of like come up with ideas uh fairly usually like there is constant innovation and we see this in defi happening like protocols are innovating like constantly even though well, we're comp- we're kind of competing as as crazy here but at the same time like it it's stressful but as you get used to the idea that you know everyone is just like coming out with cool stuff and you're expected to cool, come with some cool stuff and people like that, then it, it, you kind of like uh, get into the uh, mode.
0: <laughs> and do you feel that the community can sometimes make it like, you know, earlier when we were talking about the difference between just being able to implement changes that you want and now having to go through this process, does that make it harder to keep up with the pace of innovation?
1: Yeah, but it does. It, it, there's two elements kind of like you, you, you kind of miss a bit the surprise element in one way. So you have to discuss it quite openly on, on what you're building, what you're going to implement. Otherwise, if it comes, uh, out of the bushes and there's going to be a proposal vote, you have very little time to actually educate everyone what's, what's going on and, and campaign on, on the improvements. And then, uh, of course, there's the procedure that you have to do, but uh, at, at the same time, it adds it has stability. It adds stability and it adds certainty. the The certainty is very important. So, so even though like protocols have to innovate, they have to be very secure at the same time. And changes has to be be applied in a not light, kind of like way manner. So, I. One way it slows down, but it brings a lot of value by by having more stability in the in the protocol. And uh, yeah, that's those, those things are kind of evolved.
0: All right. Well, what's next for Aave?
1: Next for Ave, I think. Uh, yeah, we're deploying new markets, so that's amazing thing because we've been like promising to deploy new markets for a long time, and you know. Uh, we, we actually found a, a community developer that is working on, on deploying them. So the next market we are deploying is actually uh, this kind of like a uh, AMM market where you can use not just uh, Uniswap uh, liquidity provider shares as a collateral, but also SocialSwap shares and Balancer shares and also um, Kyber as they, com- as they are coming up with their AMM. So automated market maker kind of like uh, where you can trade like Uniswap. And what's like interesting your LP here
0: tokens is, from each of those yes
1: yes exactly so you can use them as a collateral and get liquidity more what's interesting here is the the governance so we decided because our governance model is quite unique and allows this kind of like uh, voting strategies and have like inclusivity on multiple tokens we decided that we actually are going to govern that market in a way that uh, the AV tokens has some voting power as well. But also, we give voting power to Uni, uh, Bal, KNC, and sushi tokens. So, practically, it makes kind of like inclusive governance, so that we're not even though it's a other product, it's not only we're not only ones governing because it re- relates uh, in one ways to the other protocols. And I think this is the next thing coming up in 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 DeFi that you know you have projects building together things, governing things together, and this is where you will see like a lot of interesting stuff. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that does it does sound really interesting. All right, well, we'll have to have you back when when that happens. Where can people learn more about you and Ave?
1: I think uh following us on Twitter, so Ave is our our handle. Um we're quite active in in Telegram and uh and of course Discord. And I'm actually frequently now in in Clubhouse. I'm just listening and sometimes talking there and you know, that's a nice nice place to to chat about things and if someone wants to to look what our markets look like it's ava.com and uh yeah and if there's something uh uh, i mean the team is very reachable i'm quite active everywhere try to be as close as community as i can and uh
0: yeah okay great well thank you so much for coming on unchained
1: thank you laura for having me here it was a pleasure
0: Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about Stani and Ave, check out the show notes for this episode. Don't forget, you can now watch video recordings of the shows on the Unchained YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com slash z slash Unchained podcast and subscribe today. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Daniel Nuss, Dan Edelbeck-Shashank, and the team at CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening.